You're listening to the AG Lockhart Podcast. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Matt Burton. Thank you. So we're celebrating Advent. We're using the tradition that some trace back to the 4th or 5th century to help us prepare our hearts and our minds for Christ's coming. And we're thinking of that in three ways. We're remembering His coming and the nativity that Christ was born, that Jesus thought it not something that he should hold on to, equality with God, it says in Philippians, but that he laid that down and he took on the form of a person and he put on flesh and he came as a servant and he gave his life as a ransom for many. So we celebrate this Christmas season, Jesus' first coming. Though God always was and though Jesus was with him in the beginning, Jesus put on flesh and at a certain moment, the Bible said, when it was in God's right and perfect timing, Christ came. And so we remember that. And we want to use this Advent season to calm ourselves and to have time to think and prepare. What does it mean that God would come and be with us? And then we think of His coming, what the Bible calls the blessed hope, the coming of the Lord, the second coming, when every eye will see Him in the sky and He'll come for His church and He'll make all the wrong things right. And there's much written about that in God's holy scriptures. But then there's a third way we've been thinking about how Christ offers us the invitation to come into us by His Spirit, that He comes that He might find us, the lost sheep, the Bible says, and bring us into His flock, or the lost son or daughter that He might bring us home with Him, or the sinner who has no way of saving him or herself, and Jesus comes and pays that debt, redeems us to God. So in those three ways of Christ coming as a child, into our hearts at salvation, or as we think, and as we think about it in His second coming, we want to prepare and not just miss these moments. So hopefully these candles have helped in the scripture readings and thinking of that. I don't know about this second candle. I like visual things. They help me. They speak to me. I don't know if I'm that second candle and I just need to stay close to the Lord so He could keep lighting me up. But evidently, there's either air conditioning or I broke the wick or something. But it's speaking to me today. And if you feel like that second candle that's lit and then not lit and lit and then not lit, then, well, let's just pray for those of us who feel like that today. Father, let the fire of your love that's in your eyes light our hearts. Your word calls to us to wake up if we're sleeping, to come back to our first love if we've been far away, to get hot if we've been lukewarm. And we ask you, Lord, though we have a hard time staying lit, we trust your fire. We trust your love. We trust your Holy Spirit. Work in our hearts today, we pray. Amen. So the Lent season, Lent season, the Advent season, Christ is coming. Today, the title, Christ is coming, the candle of joy. It's called the shepherd's candle, or it represents joy. And our verse today would be Philippians 4.4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Do you feel it today, the joy of the Lord? It doesn't matter if we feel it or we understand it or if we can even see it, but in the Lord there is a joy that's different than the joy in the world. And the Scriptures command us to be full of the joy and to rejoice. So the joy comes into us through Christ coming into our life, but then we participate by rejoicing, by acting on that. I want to help us today from the Bible in how we can be a lit 
candle of joy or full of joy or how we can rejoice. Luke chapter 2, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will be a great joy to all people. Look at the last part of verse 10. Good news. The good news leads to great joy, and it's for everyone. Have you ever been not allowed in somewhere or asked to sit at a different table? Maybe Christmas dinner, you had to be on the stack of books at the kids' table. Maybe somebody had too many kids and not enough adults, and you were grown and still had to go to the kids' table. Maybe you got somewhere and you didn't realize you had to have a ticket to get in because last year it was a ticketless event, and now they're charging for it. Maybe you were just looked at and they went mm, and passed you over. Maybe the birthday party, the mom said six people can come and you were number, doesn't matter if you're seven or 20, I guess after that, if only six people are coming to the party. Have you ever been left out? The great news for great joy is for everyone. So you're included in the invitation. Verse 11 says, the Savior, the announcement was this, the Savior The Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. We've heard this story, but to those shepherds, it was something that had been passed down for them for generations that one day the Messiah would come, and then it's announced to them in a supernatural way with angels in the sky and the glory of the Lord. Who knows what that looks like in the flesh? And And the angel says to them, today the Messiah was born. And the angel tells them, you'll recognize by this sign, you'll find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Oh, and then the great news, or the good news for great joy, reaches the shepherd's ears and they respond. They say to each other, well, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. Like we came to church today because we were already 20 minutes late. We hurried to church. We hurried to Bethlehem. They hurried because they didn't have a car. They were in chanclas running across the fields. The angels had announced it. They were reaching for the, I'm sorry, you might have been early to church. I don't want to just throw you in there. I was trying to think of when I was hurrying. I was hurrying to get my hair done, get to where I needed to go. I'm stuck on this word hurried right now. I don't know why. I'm going to chase this rabbit, not all of them today, but this one. This is the problem or the opposite of the Advent season. This season, like every other that we live now in this Western culture, is hurrying us somewhere where we miss the moment that we're in. And then the technology that was invented to make our lives simpler just makes it more hurried and we are able to do more and more and more. But there's a good hurry. There's a hurry that distracts us. There's a hurry that makes us miss the moment. But these shepherds hurried in what the Lord had asked them to do. And I want that kind of hurry in my life. Oh, I feel a point coming out of here. It's probably just for me, but God gave me this position at least for a moment. There'll be another time to vote in February if you want to. God gave me this moment at least so that I hear what I need to hear from the Lord, and sometimes it comes out of my mouth. I'm not ashamed of that. The Lord even spoke through a donkey in the Scriptures. But there's a hurry that... When we hear what God wants us to do, and we we don't know it all, but we know some of it, 
it's the child, and it, he'll look like this in a manger, and he's in Bethlehem. And they said, let's go, and they hurried. And oh, Matt likes to go slow sometimes to figure out how's it all going to work out and what's the best way to do it. But I like these guys. They heard the announcement, and they said, let's hurry. Christ follower, we don't always know what the path ahead looks like, but when there is enough lamp for our feet and light for our path, let's hurry to do the will of the Lord. Let's hurry to get where God's wanting us to get. Someone has been here debating. You know the Lord's calling you in an area, and you've been thinking, I think I'll do that when I'm a little older or when I get this situated or that situated. Someone's listening. You won't even come to church because you think the church might burn down if you walk in it. You're hurrying to get yourself together before you come to the Lord. That's backwards. It's like taking a shower before you get in the bathtub. It's like healing your heart before you go into heart surgery. And the Lord says, hurry, hurry to him, hurry to God's arms that are wide open. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, burdened down with many things, I'll give you rest. I think we might all qualify as burdened down and needing rest. They hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph and there was the baby. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened. And the angel said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story was astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought of them often. And the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel told them. Christ is coming. This week we focus on joy. Not that we'll be done with it after this week, but we want to remind ourselves of the good news that comes about great joy. How do we have joy? Number one. I'm trying to judge, like, y'all got enough joy so you don't need help, or is this going to be helpful? Let me see how you look. Somebody was like, I need some joy. What is number one? All right. Number one, we're invited into this joy. The good news was announced of the great joy, but it came from outside of the shepherds. Very important part. We can't produce in ourselves the joy that we need. We can't produce in ourselves anything that's right and good. The Bible makes it clear we are in need of a Savior. The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy. From somewhere where God was, the message came through the messenger, the angel, that the angel was bringing to the shepherds good news and great joy. If you feel like you can't stir up enough joy, well, then just sit down with the shepherds and let it be announced to you there's news that's bringing us joy. It comes from outside of us. I looked up the definition of joy. You know we live in a world where you have to define things to make sure you're talking about the same thing. Words that used to mean something mean something else. This week I learned what a passel means. And I can't, well, I was told, but now I can't remember it. And then my daughter told me how the kids are talking about something. I go, that is not how that word is used. She goes, well, in this context it is. We, not, we need to be careful because we start talking about joy or different words, and they may be defined different ways. This is a biblical dictionary. The Holman Bible Dictionary defines words from Scripture and what all of Scripture is talking about. So let me read it to you. The happy state that results from knowing and serving God. There's a joy that comes only from knowing God, but not just knowing Him, but being in a right relationship, that He's your Lord and you are under Him. A child, an heir with all the rights and all the gifts of the Lord, but also the Bible would say a slave or a servant to Jesus Christ. Joy is the fruit of a right relationship with God. 
Behold, I bring you great news of great joy. I bring you the invitation that you can have a relationship with God, and through that relationship and living in it, communion with God, you can have great joy. It comes from outside of us. It's beyond our circumstances. It's an ability to be content in all situations. There were some followers of Jesus that had such great joy, Paul and Silas. They were in a prison, shackled between guards, and at midnight, after being beaten for most of the day, they begin to sing from a joy that came from knowing and serving God that was bigger, deeper, more foundational than the circumstances they found them in. You know someone like that. It might have been your grandmother. It might have been a pastor. It might have just been a crazy aunt, but they had a relationship with God, and no matter what happened, they were always okay. Things weren't always okay, but they were. Paul said it like this, I've learned to be content in all things. There is a joy that surpasses what the circumstances would try to dictate how we live. Have you been there? There is a joy. that is able to help Peter, who once denied Christ, go to his death. They were going to crucify him for his faith. He said, I need you to turn the cross upside down. I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way Jesus was. It wasn't shaking and trembling at his death. It was, let me not dishonor the Lord by how I die. A joy, a foundational presence of God's spirit in us that comes from outside of us, but we're invited to let it come into us. We look through scripture, many people found it. The Holman Dictionary also says this, it's not something people can create on their own efforts. The Bible distinguishes joy from pleasure. So this is why we have to define joy, because if you say, oh, I'm joyful, I mean, I don't know who talks like that these days, but the world might just think like, oh, you had a good time, or it was entertaining, or that was pleasurable. The Greek word for pleasure is the same word that we get our word for hedonism. The definition of hedonism is a philosophy of self-centered pleasure-seeking. When I think of hedonism and paganism, I think of ancient times in the Bible. No, these spirits, these philosophies, these false religions are active today also. Can't you see our world? Can't you feel the pool pulling you into self-centered pleasure-seeking. If it's your truth and it doesn't hurt anybody, then do it, they might say. Or it doesn't matter what that person thinks as long as I'm okay with it. It's a self-centered pleasure-seeking. That's not the pleasure or the joy that Paul is referring to or the Bible is. Paul refers to these people or this idea as lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. As the candle for joy was lit today, as we remember the announcement, great news for great joy, we want to remember this is bigger than us, and it's outside of us, and it's about us, but not just about us. And it's not just for our benefit, but there's a bigger picture. I uh, grew up going to church, and I want to thank my parents for taking me on the many days that I didn't want to go. And I guess some days I did want to go. But my youth pastors taught me this an acronym for joy. Jesus, then others, then yourself. That'd be the opposite of hedonism. Hedonism would have yourself on top. Narcissism would have yourself on top. Yourself would have yourself on top, except you've come to the cross and you've died to yourself that 
Christ might live in you. So now Jesus is on top. So this isn't everything about joy, but it's helpful to me, and I could remember it. It was only three words, and it went with the letter. I bring you great news for great joy. Jesus is born. So we start with Jesus, and then we have others. Listen, if you take the letters and change the order, like if you put O in front, it'll spell O-J or O-G or O-J. won't make sense. But if you put others in the first place, if something other or someone other becomes your God, it will be miserable. They'll be miserable because who could stand the pressure of having to be the God of your life? Who's built to be all-knowing, all-powerful, all-righteous, all-merciful, all, all justice, all wisdom, all healing, all power. Someone else can't be there. Do yourself and them a favor. If someone is in the first place in your life, move them to second. Let Jesus be first. Oh, if you put the Y first, it might spell Ejo or Oiger. I don't know. Here, here's a Christmas deal. You can win the pie. See how many words you can spell out of joy. I think only one. If you put yourself first, Oh, and there's a pool. We are being trained in our world. From not just it's the iPhone, the my phone, the I. I'm at the center of everything. And I'm not having a, I'm not talking about if you should have an Apple product or not. From the day you're born and maybe even before, this world wants to condition you to put yourself first. It was the first line. You can be like God if you eat this apple. You can take the J down and put the Y on top. I want to ask you if you take a moment in this Advent season to see how good it's working out when you're in charge. Oh, there's a pool. The flesh is a liar and a beggar and a thief. The songwriter said, it looks like it would be better if people would do things my way and if I had my way and if you would just cooperate and if you wouldn't irritate me and if you would just let me do it my way and if you would and I, I know what to do. And then many times somebody goes, hey, what do we ought to do? And you're like, I don't know. Where do you want to eat? I don't know. Should we get the thing or not the thing? I don't know. Should we vote for the or not the? I don't know. Should we? Well, some of you know. But I get real nervous if I stop to think like, man, if the universe had to revolve around me being in charge of it, I can find out really quickly. I, I have a hard enough time just being in the third place up there. Joy. Jesus first, then others. It's the opposite of the culture. I don't want my truth first. I need Jesus' truth first. My truth is changing every day. I don't even know what I think half the time. There is something about having your truth, being an individual that God made you, speaking up for yourself and who you are, not conforming to the pattern of this world, but being unique. But it gets turned around when my truth becomes over Jesus' truth. Somebody say, move on to the next thing, Matt. God intervenes. We're like the shepherds out in the dark just doing what we do. I don't know if it was the best job in the world. Most of the commentators say that was considered, oh, you're a shepherd. God comes and he invites the shepherd. He intervenes into their dark night, into their waiting for the Messiah, and he comes near and he enters into our story with his story. I bring you good news of great joy. We wouldn't have known about the news or even to be expecting it if God not, hadn't invited us. But then the invitation comes, sometimes directly from the mouth of God, sometimes from the angel, sometimes from the scripture, sometimes from that family member, sometimes from that 
Christian, co-worker, or friend, but the invitation comes. God enters our story. God could have saved us anyway, but he became a person. And he lived like we lived, that he might come near to us and take us to where he is. In the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in the city of David. They call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Have you ever sent somebody on an errand? Hey, go do this for me. It's not bad to do an errand. God sent the angel on the errand. But when it came time to save us, God came. He didn't send his best angel. He didn't send somebody from down the street. He didn't send AAA towing. He sent himself, himself, his son. God enters in. I bring you great news of great joy, the angel said. God has showed up on the earth to save you. And our joy can come from knowing this. So number one, we're invited into this joy. We're invited into this message of what God is doing. In the scripture, I see that the shepherds responded. So that would be number two. We get the invitation and we respond. It's almost like an RSVP, but a whole lot more important. The shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see what's happened, which we've just been invited to, which the angel just told us. And they hurried and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They responded. We get to go on this journey and make it personal. It's not just the good news. It's good news to everyone. It's not just to everyone. It's good news for me and good news for you. But we have to respond. So we're invited and then we respond. We move toward God as he's already begun moving toward us. Our response is in response to what he's already doing. It's a process. They had to go from where they were to Bethlehem. Sometimes the process is short. Some people say they were just right outside of Bethlehem. Some people say this or that. You may feel like it's a short journey to go get joy, to go find Jesus where he is. It's just a hop over there in the same night you can make it. Or you may feel like, I'm like the wise man. I'm riding a camel. I don't like the camel. I'm in the desert. I don't know where I'm going. There's only a star. It's a long journey. Whatever the journey is, we need to start it. We need to be responsive to the invitation. It may take time. Some processes and journeys take more time. Some take less. But we get to go on the way. And if you're still not there in this Advent season and you feel like, I've believed and I've thought there's these promises. I've even asked the Lord in my life. It just doesn't seem like it's working out. I want to tell you, keep going. Keep going. He's right over there. He's right around the corner. He's in the manger. He's on the cross. He's in the resurrection. He's at the right hand of the Father. As we sing today, he's always been with us. Just keep going. Someone I know needs to hear that today. Because 1 Thessalonians says this, 524, the one who called you is faithful. The angel didn't tell a lie. There was Jesus. They found him just as they were. And Jesus has called you and he's faithful even if it looks like this whole faith thing isn't working out. Or I don't have much joy, Matt. Are you sure you know what you're talking about? Is God sure what he wrote in the Bible? The one who called you is faithful. Just keep going. Jesus told the rich young ruler, uh, no, Jesus told them this in a parable. The kingdom of heaven is illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. They all refused to come. You can say no on the response. You can say, hey, that's great news, but I'm going to stay with the sheep. Kind of indifferent. They all refused to come. 
So he sent other servants to tell him, the feast is prepared. The bull and the fatted calf have been killed. Everything's ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he invited ignored them. Some went on their way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized the messengers, insulted them, and killed them. There are responses from yes all the way to I will kill you if I get the chance when Jesus invites us to come to him. We see it in his physical life that they put him on a cross. But we see it in our spiritual lives. We have to be careful or we will go against what God's doing in our life. There are all kinds of responses. There's yes. There's I'm too busy. There's let me go do this first. Jesus once came to a man, we call him the rich young ruler. And he said, I, I, I feel like I'm righteous, but I'm missing something. What do I need to do? Jesus said, keep the commandments. I've done it. Jesus goes, oh, just one more thing. Here's the invitation. Sell all that you have and follow me. Leave the pasture and come to the manger. Leave that life and come to this life. Let go of what's first and put the J up at the top of joy. And the rich young ruler, it says, went away sad because he had a lot of wealth. And he couldn't move other down to second and let Jesus be first. And so he couldn't have joy. And so he went away sad because we'll always end up sad even if we stick with the thing we want the most if the thing we want the most isn't Jesus. Many responses. I like to look at other people and go, good response, bad response. Eh, eh, yeah, no. No, but I need to get the board out of my own eye first. I need to ask myself, we need to ask ourselves, am I responding to God's invitations? Am I seeking joy or do I just like being miserable? Like the Grinch. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but some of you, you take a little bit of pride. I'm the Grinch of the family. That's right. Sometimes we want to be the Grinch in God's word. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I should go. Maybe next time. God's going to do what he's going to do. They hurried to see him. You can respond. You can say yes or you can say no or you can actually kill what God's trying to do in your life. The innkeeper. Jesus is at his door inside his mother, but there's Jesus at the door and he just goes, I'm sorry, we're too full. Was it mean? It was just, I don't have room for you. Sometimes that's the response. Jesus told him this, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions. If you want to be complete, if you want to be whole, if you want the joy I'm offering, get rid of everything else and come see me first. But we sometimes respond with, first, let me do this, or first, let me do that. Some don't respond. Some are too busy. Some are negative. But we're invited to respond. Let me encourage you. It's not always your first response that matters, but your best response. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 21. He said, a father went and asked his two sons to go work in the field. And the first one goes, no, I don't want to go. And the second one goes, sure, dad, I'll be right there. Well, the second one said, sure, dad, I'll be right there. But he never went. The first one said, no, I don't want to go. But he thought about it. He thought what was right and what he should do. And he went. There are some of us maybe listening today or here in the building and we've said no to God, or we haven't responded, and we go, well, I've already made my decision. The Bible would tell you that there, if it's still called today, then we can respond. And if we've hardened our hearts before, we can change our response. Well, I said no, I wasn't going to come, but if we're still alive, we can say yes. It's not over. We can be like the son and go, you know what? I don't like this not doing what my father said. I should really be doing what he said. I should come to Jesus. I should put Jesus first. I should respond to him. I want to encourage you. You haven't already drawn your line in the sand. And if you have, Jesus can erase it 
and give you another line. Cross over, go to him, find him, hurry to him today. We're invited. The prodigal son's another one in Luke 15. He took God's stuff, his father's stuff, spent it, wasted it all, had nothing left. He said, it'd be better with my father. And he, to his surprise, he came back with a well-rehearsed uh, confession, and he found his dad just bringing him in. You may feel like, I can't go to Bethlehem to see Jesus. I can't run like the shepherds because of what I've done. And the Bible would teach differently that this is good news for great joy for even us who have wasted it all. But if we're still breathing, mercy is waiting for us at the door. A new robe and a new ring and fellowship with the Father inside the house. And he cleans us up and brings us in. We don't have to get ready first. He will get us ready. Stay on the path. Keep responding. I'm talking about joy today, but these three principles that I'm telling you work for everything in the Lord. He invites us, we say yes, and then we're changed. Look at that. That would be number three. Luke chapter 2, verse 17. After they saw him, they told everyone what had happened and what the angel said. Everyone was astonished at their message. Mary kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. But look at the shepherds. They went back to where they were, but they went back differently. Now they were glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. There was an invitation. They responded, and the joy that was announced outside of them had now come into them because they had been a moment with Jesus. So now the joy was in them, and this is part three. We respond, and we are changed, and the joy that was outside of us is now in us, but it's so much in us, it's overflowing out of us. You've had news like that, just couldn't wait to share. I'm having a boy. I got the new job. They fixed my truck, and it didn't cost $25,000. Whatever the news was, it was so good inside of you. My son's alive. My daughter's healed. My boy came home, and I didn't choke him. I loved him. We were going to break up, and we're together. Oh, I'm looking around the room. We're a house of testimony. We were lost, and now we're found. It was too late, but not for God. There was an announcement, great news for great joy, and it was outside of them. They responded and went to see Jesus. And after that interaction, who knows what it looked like in that manger. There was joy inside of them to the point that they were worshiping and praising and witnessing and telling God. Oh, what's the key? We need to be changed. How do we do it? We spend time with Jesus. We get an invitation. We respond and we change. Matthew 13 says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. A man found the treasure, hid it again because of the joy over the treasure, sold all that he had, bought the field, and then now the joy was his. Luke 19 says this, Jesus came by, he looked up and saw Zacchaeus in a tree. He called him by name, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to be a guest in your home. Zacchaeus climbed down, looked at, and took Jesus to his home with great excitement and great joy. He was in a tree, now he's eating with Jesus, now his life is different. The man saw the treasure, gave everything to get the treasure, and now his life was full of the treasure. So, three things. We get invited. That's what the Christmas story is all about. God's come near, will we come near to him? We're invited in no matter who we are. We get to respond, and you can't blame that on anybody else. It's up to you. Your grandmother can't respond for you, and you can't say, well, I'm not able to. It's your choice. You respond. You come to the Lord. And then as we come to the Lord and we see him and we behold him, we are changed. 
And for the last couple of minutes, that's what I'd like to give you something practical that you can do. Here is a biblical principle. We become what we behold. We become what we behold. We used to say we memorize it by heart. What verse do you know by heart? Well, you have to behold that verse. You have to memorize it. Maybe it's that song. Has anybody just ever put a song on repeat? Now it's on your phone and it has the lyrics on there. These kids, man, they got it made. We used to have a cassette tape and a pencil and you have to punch the thing like this and there was no internet to go look up the lyrics. You just had to trust that your other friend had bought the real tape, not just recorded it on the radio and you could look in there at words printed like this on the cassette cover. Does anybody know what a cassette is? I'm old enough. I had, I had, my dad had an eight-track player. You can't even rewind that. You got to skip it to the next one. He even had reel-to-reel, a record player. Put it on vinyl. What's the point, Matt? Well, give me a minute and I'll remember. Was a good point. We are what we behold. Oh, there it is. We become what we behold. I've memorized some songs so well when I was four, five, six, seven, eight, that if I hear it in Target or the elevator, the words are there. I go, I can't remember the dog's name or my kid's name, but I can remember the stupid Beastie Boy lyrics that my dad told me don't listen to because of what they said. I just like the beat, but I memorized the lyrics. How? Because I'm so smart and I heard it one time. No, over and over and over and over. Let's pick another example. Feliz Navidad. We could just sing it together. I want to wish you a... How come you know that? You only heard it one time? No, they sing it over and over. They put it on the radio 24 hours a day after Thanksgiving turkey meal. It's already there. It's over and over and over. You beheld it through your ears or through your eyes, but you beheld it. You want joy? You want Jesus in your life? Behold him. Behold him. Look at that verse. We know when Christ appears, we'll become like him because we'll see him as he is. That's a prophecy about his second coming. But I want to tell you this. Part of it is true today. If you will come to the manger or come to the cross or come to the resurrection in the word, if you'll encounter Jesus in the word and look at him, it'll change you on the inside. The shepherds were changed because they saw him. They believed the message. They received the invitation. They spent time with Jesus and they were changed. Do you want to be changed? I want to be changed. This is how you can do it. We're going to practice it right now with one verse. Oh, I have a lot of verses. Don't give them all, Matt. Just do one. Okay. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses in this life of faith. Let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that trips us up, and let's run with endurance the race God has set before us. We run this race by doing this, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Beholding Jesus, we run the race. He's the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. It's not because we got such great faith and joy. It's because Jesus is our faith and joy. And because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross and disregarded its shame. And now he's seated in the place of honor in God's throne. So this is how we can behold him. There's no manger to go to in Bethlehem anymore. We open up the word of God. I've already done that step for you. Let's look at verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. So I would go to behold Jesus, and I would use the word. He is the word. That's Jesus right there. And I would ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, be in this moment right now. 
we run this race by keeping our eyes on Jesus. And I would be at the manger or at the cross, and I would, or I would imagine him on his throne, or I would just look at the page, or I would close my eyes, however it was, but now I'm going to interact with Jesus. I'd say, Jesus, I want to keep my eyes on you. The shepherds went and saw Jesus in a manger. I can't go do that. I can't see him at the right hand of the Father. I know he's there, but in my mind, the mind of Christ that we've been given, I can close my eyes and I can imagine him right there at the right hand of the Father and I say, Jesus, I want to run this race and I have to keep my eyes on you. Help me keep my eyes on you. And then I would just wait. And I would try to behold him in my mind. In my mind's eye, they say. There's a biblical idea of this called meditation. There's a whole bunch of unbiblical ideas of this, but I'm telling you the biblical idea. I'm talking to Jesus. I can't go to the manger, but I'm going to the word. I'm talking to him. I say, I want to keep my eyes on you, Jesus. And I wouldn't hear his voice, but I could feel him smile. I like that. And the way he talks to me, he might go, I'm a pretty good one to keep your eyes on that. And I'd say, Lord, but I have a hard time. He wouldn't say anything, but I would feel his response. I know. (laughs) I have a hard time, Lord. I know. Lord, help me keep my eyes on you. And then probably right here, the Holy Spirit's going to help us. It's going to remind us something about Jesus. Right now, when I said that, help me keep my eyes on you, I saw a picture of the cross. I don't know what it really looked like, but we can imagine the cross. And I said, Jesus, help me keep my eyes on you. And just right now, the the first thing that came to my mind was the cross. Let's just do that together. Close your eyes. Say, Lord, I want to run this race. I want to keep my eyes on you. Help me keep my eyes on you. Every shepherd that went there, it wasn't the same. Different experience, but same God. Same result, joy and a changed life. Some of you said, help me keep my eyes on you, and you saw something or thought of something or a word came to you. Others not. It, there wasn't a better shepherd than other shepherd. We're all different. And I'm giving you an example, but I want to give you an example. So I said, Lord, help me keep my eyes on you, and he showed me the cross. So I would stop, and i go, the cross. I mean, we could preach about the cross forever and not exhaust it. But I see him on the cross, and that means there's mercy for my mistakes. And I might say, Lord, thank you. You died in my place. I should have been there, but you went. I had a debt I owed, but you paid it. Thank you. And then I would wait. I'd pause. There was that one shepherd that showed up at the manger. He just talked and talked and talked. Oh, my God, it's a baby. It's just like the angel said. Mary, we just told about that. And the other shepherd went, dude, dial it down. It's a manger. Silent night, holy night. Sometimes I want to say everything to the Lord, and he goes, okay, tell me a couple things, and then let's talk about it. So I go, Lord, you were on the cross. You died for me. You took my place. Why were you even on the cross? You should have been in heaven. Oh, but you laid down heaven, and you came for me. You obeyed your father, and you came. And then I would just have to say, thank you. Thank you. I, I don't thank you. I didn't deserve it. He would remind me, no, you've been saved by grace. And then somehow today, as I'm looking at that cross in my mind, I'm I'm reminding what the debt I owed would have been. It would have taken me forever to pay it. 
Oh, Lord, thank you that you did it in a day and it was finished. Thank you that there's not a tip left over or a a little extra off the gift card. Thank you that you paid all of it. Lord, I want to run this race. I have to keep my eyes on you. Help me keep my eyes on you. God, be reminded of the resurrection. In my mind, it would be funny. I would say something like this, Jesus, I just asked you to help me keep my eyes on you, and you showed me an empty grave. You're not even in there. I want to see you, but you're not in the grave. You're showing me in the grave. And he might smile back and say, that's right, Matt. I'm undefeated, resurrected. I'm the living word of God. I'm at the right hand of the Father. If I can come out of the grave, then I can bring you out of the grave. Today, I feel him saying, Matt, why do you keep going back in the grave? Why do you keep revisiting the dead things in your life? Why not come out? I'm out. You know my word, Matt. It says I'm able to bring many sons and daughters from death. I'm the firstborn from the dead. I'm risen. I once was dead. Now I'm alive, and I'm alive forevermore. You can be with me where I am. I want you to be with me where I am. And I would say, Lord, help me not go back into graves that you've brought me out of. Oh, and I would sit there a minute. I'd want to give the Holy Spirit time to make that sink down real deep. Great news. Great joy. Jesus is available to everyone. Come, let's go see him. How do we see him? We spend time in the word. We spend time with the Lord. And he's, if he loved us enough to come in the manger, he loves us enough by his Holy Spirit to teach us. I would look at the next verse, it says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor. Oh, Lord, you weren't just looking at the cross, you were looking past it. Help me not to just look at what's in front of me, but what's waiting for me. You're waiting for me. I'm trying to do this as an example, but man, it starts, <laughs> it's like Jesus really is around, you know? How dare you close your eyes and ask him? I would say, Jesus, you endured the cross because your joy was awaiting on the other side. The joy of obeying the Father, finishing your calling, but also I was part of that joy on the other side. Thank you that you have joy in me. I really don't understand that part. But Lord, I'm choosing to believe you. I choose to believe you even though I don't understand it. Thank you that I'm part of your joy. And then if I was doing that today, this is what would come out of my mouth next. I would say, Lord, I want to endure today because you're my joy tomorrow. I want to endure this illness today because I know the joy that's waiting for me on the other side. I don't want to stop today. You didn't stop at the cross. I don't want to stop in my trouble, in my pain, in my sorrow. I want to go where you are. I'm keeping my eyes on the joy that's waiting for me. You're coming back. I have a home in heaven. I'll have a new body and a new life. This trouble will be over a distant memory, and I'll have forever with you. No more sorrow, no more pain. Lord, I want to see your joy. You are my joy. These momentary light afflictions, Father, they're nothing compared to knowing you. 
I want to know you. Help me to know you. And the Lord would say to me today, one day at a time, Matt. One day at a time. And because of the mood I'm in today, I say, Lord, can you speed it up? Can we go times two? And the Lord would say, no. And I feel him telling me, Matt, look around. Look behind you. Look behind you. You were 10. It was in Austin at Baptist Children's Camp. You went down the front. It was on the right side. Your friend's dad was preaching. You were over there. You don't even remember the guy. You said, I want Jesus in my life. You were 10. The devil was after you. He'd already been messing with you. You didn't know much, but you knew you wanted me, and I already knew I wanted you, and you said yes. And Matt, you look back 41 years. You've been walking with me, but more than that, I've been walking with you. I know you. And you're learning to know me. And I would say, Lord, give me a minute because it's too much. And I'd remember that pastor that says, Matt, just put your head down for 10 years. Give it to the Lord, and 10 will come 20, and 20 will come 30. And I said, I don't want to wait 10 years. And here I am, and the Lord's reminding me, it was 41 years, and you've been a mess, but I've made a message. And somehow in the middle of Christmas 2021, I would be at the manger with Jesus, beholding him. He would be changing me. And there'd be another shepherd over there. He would be talking to Jesus. It would be a different story. You'd be talking to Jesus. It would be a different story, but it would be the same thing, a joy that doesn't end. An invitation that we respond to and he changes us. And we'd become different, not because we were able, but because by grace we've been saved through faith and because our God called us and he's faithful. It takes a minute to get to Bethlehem. It takes a longer minute to sit at the manger. But if we will, we'll become full of joy, overflowing, talking about it. You talk in your own words. You pick your own verse. The Bible is written by the Holy Spirit through people. Just pick a verse you like and start talking to God. And give him a minute to talk back with you. If he'll talk to Matt and he'll talk to shepherds, he'll talk to you. Behold, I give you good news of great joy. Jesus is born. He's inviting you into him and him into you. Lord, help us. Help us come find you, speak to us, and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to dismiss you, and I'm going to stay here because I'm enjoying talking to God. And I'm going to invite you if you want to come. They'll put some music. And if not, then that's fine too because uh, there's a place at your house or on your road or at the state park where you need to go and be with the Lord. But he's offering you good news and great joy. If you're not living in the good news or the great joy, he'll change it for you today. God bless you. You're dismissed. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information about All Generations Church, go to aglockhart.org.